leading up to the wedding, I was thinking I've got to buy suits because you have to wear a suit. And um, if it were up to me, I would just wear a nice shirt and call it good. But she wanted me to wear a suit. So uh, you have to wear a suit. And I went to Men's Warehouse and picked out a suit, and I liked it. And so I was prepared to buy it. And the guy told me, he's like, whoa, whoa, wait a second, your dad already paid for this. I was like, what? No, he didn't say he was going to do that. He's like, no, it, really, he paid for it. So here I am trying to give money to buy my suit, and the guy says, no, 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 I can't take your money. I'm satisfied. The, the suit's been paid for. It's yours. Take it. I can't accept your money. I'm fully paid. That's propitiation. My dad made propitiation for my suit. I'm wearing the suit pants right now. So... So the son makes satisfactory payment to the father. It's a payment in full, okay? Now, look at this, Titus 3, 5. He saved us not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. So it's not based on what we do, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit washes and regenerates the believer. Regenerate is just a fancy word that means to make alive. It makes us alive again. Uh, there's a verse that I forgot to add to the slides. Um, I meant to, but I didn't. So I'm going to turn real quick to John 16. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it to you to see what else the Holy Spirit does. In John 16, uh, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the helper. And he says, I will send my helper, uh, and the helper will not come to you, but I'll go, and I'll send him to you. And verse 8 says, and he, referring to the Holy Spirit, when he comes will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And verse 9 says, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. So the Holy Spirit has two ministries. The first is to convict the world of their unbelief, to show the world that they do not believe in the Savior, and to convict them of that. Okay? So the Holy Spirit is convicting the entire world of their unbelief. But then, when they come to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit washes and regenerates the believer. So if you've trusted Christ, that's your story. The Holy Spirit convicted you that Christ died and paid for your sin, and that he rose again to conquer death. And when you believed, the Holy Spirit washed and regenerated you. He made you holy, and he made you alive. Okay? So that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So when you put it together... Uh, Notice, a singular God cannot die and be alive at the same time. But the triune God can. The Father can send the Son. Singular God cannot be the creditor and the payer at the same time. He can't both say, pay up, and I'm paying. Okay? He's singular. But our God can. The Father can accept the payment of the Son. And finally, singular, singular God cannot demand satisfaction and satisfy at the same time. Okay? So singular God cannot save, even if he wanted to, but he doesn't want to. Um, so the second thing is, how does God redeem? How does God redeem? Uh, oh, sorry, this is the first thing. So we just finished. Okay, so the Father sends the Son, and the Son makes payment to the Father, and the Holy Spirit convicts the world of unbelief and regenerates the believer. So you have the entire Trinity involved in the work of redemption. You see that? So that's how God redeems. Um, the second thing is, Why? Why does God redeem? God redeems in love. It's a central attribute. It's part of his nature. Love is his character. Love is his nature. And love is his motivation. That's why God saves. Okay? So 1 John 4, 9 through 10 says, By this the love of God is manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, 
so that we might live through him. And in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be, there's that word again, the propitiation for our sins. So the father sent his son to die because he loves us. And I love 1 John 4, 9, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. So God's love preceded our love for him. He did it out of an unmoved love, unprovoked love. So the father sent his son to die because he loves us. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Christ died because he loves us. In this case, um, God demonstrates his own love by Christ's death. Christ died because he loves us. And look at John seventeen twenty six. I have made your name known to them. This is Jesus praying to the Father. It says, I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. So I just want to point out, this is one of the craziest verses one of the craziest statements in the history of the universe. Because remember we talked about how God has been an unbroken fellowship, an unbroken union, unbroken love that has been undisturbed for all eternity, right? Since before the foundation of the world, before time even existed, there's been perfect, unbroken fellowship, perfect, unbroken love that has never ceased. And then Christ went on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They break the fellowship. And then he says, so that the love with which you loved me for all eternity, unbroken, perfect love, mutually happening, all of this I can give to them. The love with which you loved me may be in them. That gives me goosebumps to think that the love which God has had for all eternity, Christ gave up that fellowship and gave up that, that union so that we could have that same love and we will have it for all eternity in the future. So Christ had an eternity past and it was broken. We came into this world with that fellowship broken, but we will have it eternity future. Isn't that amazing? Singular God can't do that. And the glory, look at this. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them. Jesus came not only to share the love of the Father, but to share the glory which the Father has given to Christ. Came to share the glory. Now, this is even more incredible when you read Isaiah. Isaiah 42 says, I am Yahweh, that is my name, and I will not give my glory to another. Uh, in this chapter of Isaiah, this is the Father speaking to the Messiah, the suffering servant. He says, I will give my glory to the Messiah, and I will not give my glory to another. So he's very clear, I am giving my glory to Christ and Christ alone. And then Christ comes and says, that glory that you gave me, I want to give to them. That's insane. So look at this, John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God even to those who simply believe in his name. So Jesus came to share his sonship. So he came to share his love, his glory, and even his sonship. And look at this. Hebrews 2.11 says, for, those, for both he who sanctifies, that's Christ, that's a word that means to make holy, he who sanctifies, and those who are sanctified, that's us, who have, who have trusted Christ, we've been sanctified, we've been made holy, are all from one Father. For which reason, he is not ashamed to call them brothers. 
Okay, so God came to share his love, share his glory, and even his sonship to where we and Christ are brothers. And we can stand before the Father and say, that's my Father. Oh, Jesus, that's your Father too? That's cool. Okay, we have the same Father. We are both sons. We are daughters and sons of the same Father. And we get to enjoy the exact same relationship with the Father that Christ has had for eternity. And this is why we also are called co-heirs with Christ. So, Jesus came to share his sonship. Secondly, why not secondly, this is what we're looking at. Why does God redeem? We saw God has eternally loved, eternally fellowshiped, and desires love and fellowship with his creation. In other words, he saved you because he wanted to. He saved you because he loved you, because he wanted to. Singular God depends on creation to fulfill essential attributes. He would only redeem based on need. Think about this. If, if God, singular God, wanted love, he would create you so that he could have love. Because he needs it. If he wanted fellowship, he would create you so that he could have fellowship. It would be a selfish creation. And his salvation would never amount to the same love and fellowship which we receive as a free gift. Because we would not be able to have the same kind of fellowship with that singular God that we get to have with the triune God. Okay? So even the salvation would be cheaper. And, and, and here's how we know. Think every other religion in the world uh, is either polytheistic or monotheistic. And, and if you take the monotheistic religions of the world, such as, let's just use Islam as an example. Allah is the God of Islam. He's a singular God. It actually says that he is too glorious to be bothered with a son. That comes from the Quran. Um, and the promise of the Quran, the promise of Islam, is that if you live a really, really good life and keep the five pillars and do the best you can, then maybe singular God will let you into a place called paradise. How many of you guys would like to go to paradise? Sounds pretty nice, right? Paradise. Except paradise, let me tell you what paradise is in Islam. Paradise is eternity separated from God. That's what we call hell. God does not condescend to his creation in Islam. And why would he? Love isn't his nature. Fellowship is not his nature. Okay? So God says, okay, you've done maybe more good than bad. I'll let you be in this place, but I'm certainly not talking to you because I'm too good for that. That's, that's singular God. At best, singular God would desire community and love because he lacks it. He would redeem us because he needs us. But for Yahweh, it is by his grace and mercy alone, and it is an outflowing of his very nature and character. Salvation makes sense when you have a triune God because well, of course he would. That's his nature. That's his character. He's loving. He's, he's communal. That's who he is. So we've seen God's character and nature. We've seen salvation. Now we're on to the final step, man's nature and God's image. The Trinity affects our nature as created beings in the image of God. So we're going to see three things. This slide has two I promise it's three. We're going to see man's nature and God's image with respect to creation, the fall, and the third thing which isn't up there is our restoration. So creation, fall, restoration. So let's look at creation. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. We already looked at this verse, but let's look at it again. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. 
and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. So we are made in his image, not just male, not just female, but male and female in his image, okay? In Genesis 2.18, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. So I'll make him a helper. So we are made for fellowship. We're made in his image. We're made for fellowship. And then Genesis 2.24, he says, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they are, we are made for love and we are made for unity. We're made to have a wife or a husband. We're made to be joined together as one flesh. So we're made for love and we're made for unity. Okay? Now, look at this. We are made in his image and we're made for fellowship, for love, and for unity. Notice that these reflect God's character and nature. That God is love and God is communal and God is one all at the same time. So our very nature, the things that we take for granted, that we desire love and we desire unity and we desire fellowship and community, that those things are reflections of the very nature of our triune God without whom we wouldn't be that way. So man in the image of singular God is individualistic and doesn't need community. Think, if if you were made in the image of a singular God, why would you be made to desire community? Why would you be made for friendship? If you were made in the image of a singular God, you might have potential for some type of love, but only the needy, dependent, self-seeking love that motivated singular God to create in the first place. Right? If singular God creates, it's because he desperately desires some sort of love from his creation. He's dependent and needy self-seeking from his creation. That's the only kind of love that we could acquire if we were made in that image. And yet, what's the image of love that the triune God has? The, the preeminent, preceding love that comes from God that says, as First John 4, 9 said, not that we love God, but that he loved us and he gave himself up for us. That's the, the image of love that we're made in. The self-sacrificing love, not the self-seeking So, there's the third point. Creation, fall, restoration. Let's look at the fall. Let's look at the fall. So, it's easy to say, yeah, we were made in God's image, but then we fell. But look at this. This is right after the flood. Okay, so Noah and his wife Sarah and his family, they get into the ark with the two by two. And God flooded the earth because it was completely rampant with sin. And he said, I'm done with this. I'm flooding the earth. But they come out of the ark. And then God says, whoever sheds man's blood, by his blood shall he be shed. For in the image of God, he made man. That's profound because God reaffirms after not just the fall, but after the flood, that we are still made in his image. We still bear his image even after all that. So the image of God remains in us, and as, as it's fun to say, the image has been defaced, but not erased. So you'll remember that because it rhymes. So the image of God has been defaced, but not erased. Okay, it's still there, but it's corrupted. That's why we are made to love, but we love selfishly. That's why we're made for community, but sometimes we, we desperately see community in sinful ways. Like if I gossip, then maybe they'll like me. Or if I laugh at that joke, maybe they'll like me. 
So we have a corrupted form of the image of God, but that does not mean that the image is gone. It's just corrupted. In Acts 2.42, New Testament, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. After the fall, we are still made for fellowship. And let's look at restoration. This is just really cool to me. So we're made in the image of God. The image has been defaced but not erased. And look at this promise. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. God has predestined that all who have trusted Christ will be conformed to the image of his son. So you were made in God's image, but you fell. And then... One day, that image will be restored fully, completely. God has already predestined that if anyone in here has trusted Christ as Savior, he has promised that you will be fully conformed, fully restored to the image of Almighty God. So it doesn't have to be the way it is now. So we have this, this cycle of creation, then fall, then restoration. Okay? Only triune God will do that. So we've seen that God's character and nature, salvation and our very nature in God's image are all affected by the fact that God is triune. Okay? So, we've seen that God's character and nature, God is love and God is communal. And those two things are only true because God is triune. Only true because God is triune. We've seen that salvation happens. God redeems in Trinity and God redeems in love. That's how he redeems and that's why he redeems. He redeems you He's able to because he's triune, because the Father can send the Son, and the Son can pay to the Father, and the Spirit can convict and regenerate. We've seen that God redeems because he loves you, because he wants to. And for our nature, we've seen that we're made in his image of creation. At the fall, his image was defaced, but not erased, and that we will one day be restored. We were made to love, we were made for fellowship. And we're awaiting restoration. So, applications. Why, why did I call it worshiping the triune God? Why didn't I just call this a study on Trinity? Okay, I could have called it that. But understand that we worship a triune God who's completely distinct from all other gods. To be triune is to be God. And to be God is to be triune. Without Trinity, you don't have God. It's like saying, I bought an airplane. It doesn't have wings. Okay, no, you don't have an airplane. Okay, if you... If you have God and you remove Trinity, you don't even have God. We, we sometimes make the mistake that like our God's triune, their God's singular. That's just kind of what makes us different. No, no, no. Being triune is central to even having a God. There's only one God in the universe and he is triune. To be God is to be triune. There's no other way. Now, understand that Trinity is his foundational attribute. If God weren't triune, he would not be loved. He would not save. He would not restore. It's his foundational attribute. And therefore, praise God. Praise God. He saved you because he wants to. Praise God for being triune. This is why we want to call it worshiping the triune God because oftentimes we look at the doctrine of Trinity as just that, a doctrine, and one that's kind of hard to explain. You know, it, well, the Trinity is like an egg. You have the shell and you have the yolk and you have the white stuff, all right? And so then we get caught up in the eggishness of God. Um, we, we want to worship the triune God instead of just relegating this weird, mysterious doctrine to the back room and just saying, well, well, I can't explain it, so let's just talk about something else. No, Trinity is a central attribute and we should worship him for it. And finally, we are made to love 
when we are made to commune. So fall in love with your God and build genuine relationship with him. Love him and have community with him. He wants that. And secondly, seek to love those around you and pursue genuine God-glorifying community, like grow groups. Okay? So fall in love with your God and build genuine relationship with him. You can't adequately or sufficiently love the people around you until you love God. And you can't sufficiently and adequately have community with the people around you until you have fellowship with God. If you look at the kind of community that exists when God is absent, it's bad community. It's a community that tears people down, that talks about people behind their back, and that relishes in sin. But we want to have genuine love and genuine community with God first so that we can have it with people. Does that make sense? So, with that being said, um, I think we finished a little early. We have about 20 minutes Um, So for the rest of this time, we're not going to break off into our groups like we normally do. Instead, um, we have time for fellowship out in the foyer. You can go out there, have donuts and coffee. But remember, don't forget to sign up for grow groups for this upcoming year. All the sign-up sheets are out. You need to sign up for a grow group. Even if you're already in one, you need to sign up for it again. Um, and also you can sign up for SBI classes so you can be trained and equipped. There's four SBIs. There's Angels and Demons, which JB's teaching. There's Newness of Life, which Adam is teaching. Um, there's 412 Foundations that Brian is teaching. And then there's the Women's Study that uh, Darla Trout's teaching. So there are four SBIs. Um, and there's also grow groups to sign up for. So um, I would really encourage you to pursue genuine community. Part of pursuing community is pursuing others to join your community. So I know that for us here, most of us obviously are already involved in a grow group. But pursue community for those who aren't involved in a grow group. Get them involved. Show them the love and the community that you have with one another. And do it for the glory of God.